Good morning, everyone. Our Bible reading is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. So if you have your Bibles or devices, please open up there. Uh, Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you. My name's Ken. If you haven't met me, um, it's only one sleep until Christmas. Um, Last Sunday, we looked at the passage just before this one, and Mark helped us to think through Mary's response to Gabriel's announcement of a miraculous pregnancy. The announcement must have come to Mary as a massive shock. But the child that she was carrying was the fulfilment of ancient promises that had been there for centuries. Now, thanks to the kids, youth and Kyra for putting the Christmas video together that helps us to fill in some of the gaps of what happened, uh, both before and after the angels spoke. Uh, I hope it had helped all of us to think through the whole story and also realise just how many traditions have snuck in over time. At least the one about Jesus wearing sunglasses hasn't stuck. Um, Today, we're going to continue looking at the story of Christmas from the Bible. So please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for this time of the year where we get to slow down, where we get to spend time with family and friends, where we get to again marvel at the incredible news that God became man. So as we spend some time thinking about this passage this morning, we again ask that you would help us not only to understand what it meant for its first readers, but what it continues to mean for us today. We pray that we would respond to it in repentance and faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Frozen, high school musical, Hamilton, the sound of music. What is the same in these and all musicals is that life is expressed in song. Why simply say something when you can sing it? Now, maybe you're a sceptic and you don't like musicals, or, or maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum and you love them all. 
perhaps you consider yourself to be a realist who knows that, that life isn't a musical and the very idea that people would break into song to express their emotions shows that the story's made up. Whoever you are, as an early Christmas present to you, I'm not going to break into song. But I just want you to listen into some words from a song. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? They're the opening words of the very famous Christmas carol, which I think poetically captures the question that's being answered by our passage today. What child is this? Elizabeth, Mary, and then Zachariah take turns speaking about two babies. While tradition has even titled Mary's song, the Magnificat, the truth is that the Bible says absolutely nothing that any of these three sang their words. Perhaps they did. But any similarity to a musical probably has more to do with questionable traditions that were added in much later than the reality as it's recorded in the Bible. In verses 39 to 45, we hear Elizabeth's words about Jesus. In verses 46 to 56, we hear Mary's response. And then finally in verses 67 to 80, we hear Zachariah speak about his firstborn son. Three songs about two babies answering one question. What child is this? So firstly, Elizabeth's so-called song. Where we pick up the story, Mary rushes off from her nowhere town in Galilee to a town in Judea where Elizabeth had been in seclusion for about six months. The two pregnant women greet each other, excited by each other's news, as any relatives who were pregnant at the same time would do. But there is something much bigger going on than just merely excitement. The Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth, enabling her to speak beyond her own ability, her own knowledge, leading to her pronouncing blessing after blessing. Blessed is Mary. Blessed is her child. Blessed is she who has believed the unbelievable. The definition of blessed was given in last week's passage, highly favoured, given something extraordinarily good. God was providing something beyond belief to Mary and through Mary, which God the Holy Spirit gave Elizabeth a unique insight into. What child is this? This child is Lord. As yet unborn, Mary's baby was more than a miracle. He was Elizabeth's Lord, a title which, spoken by a Jewish woman from a priestly family, carries far more importance than we might naturally give it. It is true that the Greek term that the English translates as Lord is sometimes used as an honorific title like Sir. But read on to the end of verse 45 and we see that the Lord in Elizabeth's thinking is clearly the, the way to refer to the one true God. Before Mary's child has done anything, an extraordinary claim is made. This fetus developing within Mary's womb is Elizabeth's Lord which is a very, very big claim. Now, as proud parents and grandparents everywhere do, I went to my kids' school's end-of-year assembly a couple of weeks ago. Parents are renowned for being proud of their children. 
If they win a prize, we think they're going to be the best in the world. Give them a special role and, and relatives begin imagining them as the future PM. But Elizabeth's declaration is beyond that of even the most biased aunt. The baby growing inside of Mary was God. The God who made mankind was becoming a part of mankind, which means that it's right to think of Christmas as Jesus' birthday so long as that we realise that Jesus already existed before Mary got pregnant. Hopefully my own experience can help explain what I mean. See, I was born almost 50 years ago. I know it surprises you all. Uh, as, as is the case for every single one of us here in the room, I had existed for about nine months prior to my birth as I grew inside my mum's womb. But that means literally that 51 years ago, there was no Ken Davies. Conception and birth led to me coming into existence. That's how we normally think of birth. But Jesus' conception and birth, in this sense, is unlike anyone else's because he didn't come into existence at Christmas. There was literally never a time when Jesus didn't exist. Now, while we can't begin to even guess at how much Elizabeth understood about God being Father, Son and Holy Spirit, as a Jew in a priestly family, there is absolutely no question that she believed that there is just one true God. What she marvels at is that he, who she knew as Yahweh, was taking on humanity and, and in just a few months, everyone would be able to see and hear and smell and hear him, touch him. It seemed that Elizabeth is blown away, not only by this fact, which has come to be known as the incarnation, but that unlike her husband, Zachariah, Mary had taken God at his word. She had believed the unbelievable. And I think in this, Elizabeth points us to the right response, which is expected of us at Christmas. It would be very easy for us to doubt the possibility of a, a virgin giving birth. That doesn't happen. Of the eternal God becoming human, how can two and one go together? As people who extol rationality, we might reason that the story has been changed over time. And we did see that in the video. As people who are street smart, we know that if something sounds too good to be true, then it usually is. And yet Christmas challenges each one of us to, to peel back those traditions that have been added and to accept the seemingly unbelievable but true message that God did become a man. The pure, holy and perfect one was willing to become one of us. What child is this? He is Lord. Now, Elizabeth's words trigger Mary's own response. And again, it would be easy to assume that Mary, as a first-time mother-to-be, is just super excited to be having a baby, a nobody from nowhere, picked by Almighty God to give birth to the Messiah, is a once-in-world history privilege. And Mary is clearly pleased that God has taken notice of her. Have a look at verses 48 and 49. Mary speaking, for he, God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary starts off by emphasising her humble state and, and is glad that future generations will acknowledge her blessedness. She was looking forward to the future of what's actually our present. But much of what she speaks of seems far beyond the birth of a baby. She praises God my saviour, which we automatically think of as being saved from sin. But what did Mary understood? What did Mary understand that God had saved her from? It was probably including sin, but it probably meant a lot more than that as well. She calls God the Mighty One and acknowledges his holy name. She proclaims that God is merciful to all who fear him, and yet he is simultaneously a judge of the proud. God is the one who, who removes rulers from their positions of power, lifting up the humble in their place. God feeds the hungry and turns the wealthy away empty. Mary speaks of God as the God of the great reversal. She rejoices that now life is no longer unjust, for God has intervened. But how does her pregnancy achieve all of that? Even without the combined effect of one amazing statement piled on top of another, each of these statements on their own would already be excessive. Excessive, that is, unless Mary's baby is central to God's plans to turn absolutely everything around. The arrival of Jesus is the final piece in the puzzle that gets rid of all of the bad. What child is this? The one through whom God is restoring the world to the way it should be. And notice that it's not just for one special individual. What God is for Mary, he is also for Israel. Mary is called servant in verses 38 and verse 48. But God's actions towards Mary have at the same time been God's actions toward his servant Israel, a favourite title for the nation and the best of its leaders. To be called a servant is normally a statement of humility, but because of who Mary and Israel are serving, it's actually a title of great honour. Mary has understood the message that we looked at last week. What child is this? The promised one. The one who will restore order to the world. The merciful one who will right wrongs. The saviour. And so to be his servant is to be the most privileged person in the world. Now, I know that we don't often like being told what to do. We think that independence, autonomy and authority over others will lead to our happiness. But when we understand what child is this, being his servant is the highest calling imaginable. To be his servant is the role that we were all designed to fill the role in which we find our rightful place. Now, while many of us feel that the world is messed up, rarely do we acknowledge that for the world to be fixed up, change must begin with us. Christmas is that reminder that we need to get off the throne and allow Jesus to take his rightful place. God has already sent the most important part of his plan to fix everything. What child is this? The one worthy of being number one in all of our lives. 
In verses 57 through to 66, there's a change in focus from Jesus' birth to the birth and naming of John. Different baby, but the same question still applies. What child is this? Both the child himself and his name John are unexpected. Yet Elizabeth insists on it. And, and the moment that Zachariah confirms that this child is rightly called John, his 10 months of silence come to an end. A miracle takes place to explain the miracle, which leaves everyone asking a, a slight variation of our question, what then is this child going to be? Not being able to speak or hear for almost a year no doubt gave time to Zachariah to do a lot of thinking. But far more importantly than time, Zachariah, as Elizabeth and Mary before him, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning the first word that came out of his mouth is praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Now, as has been the case with both Elizabeth and Mary, when we hear Zachariah's words, I think that we're supposed to be shocked Sure, it was unexpected for Zachariah and Elizabeth to have a child so late in life. The way that John is born clearly has echoes of Abraham and Sarah, their birth of their baby boy. But the shock to us is primarily because the birth of a boy doesn't seem to be able to justify such bold proclamations. Look at some of them. God has come and has redeemed his people, past tense. Salvation from our enemies, rescue from the hand of our enemies. Verses 65, 67 through to 75 are a tidal wave of joy that God has already won the battle. It's done. And yet how can an eight-day-old baby boy be credited with such extraordinary outcomes? Rome was still just as much in control as they had been on the day before this. And yet for Zachariah, John's birth indicated that everything had changed. What child is this? The indication that God has already begun the implementation of his rescue plan, a plan promised long ago that will end in peace. In verses 76 and 77, Zacharias speaks directly to his son. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. John was going to grow up to be a prophet in a, in a long line of God's prophets, messengers who called God's people back to himself. And John was going to do that by going ahead of the Lord to prepare the way for him. Notice that the Lord is central of, to, to all three of the messages and all three focus on mercy being displayed by the Lord. John's role is so significant because John would get the way ready for the Lord, that is, for Jesus, that is, for God, come to rescue his people. Though we have done nothing to deserve God's mercy, to deserve his rescue, in the birth of John and then Jesus, God has provided the solution that we needed but could never earn or do anything to bring about. And so three songs about two babies proclaim one message, grace. 
What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Of course, the answer is in the carol. This, this is Christ the King. And of course, we already knew that. But as we reflect on how Luke recorded this, may we all go away just as amazed as Elizabeth, Mary and Zachariah were. A baby who is Lord. A baby who deserves the number one spot. A baby whose way is prepared that all may receive grace. May a renewed focus on the baby Jesus' greatness lead all of us to respond as in the words from the final verse of the carol. The King of Kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. The King has come. Grace is given. I hope that you have enthroned him. If you haven't, then may this be your best Christmas ever when you accept who this child is. And if you have, let's get on with praising him and making him known. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do give thanks again for this time of year where we can slow down to reflect on the extraordinary thing that took place all those years ago when God took on flesh. He came to be one of us because we, as combined humanity, had just made a mess of everything. You had a plan from before creation to restore creation and you put it into place. And so we pray that as we reflect on that this time of year, as we again celebrate it with friends and family tomorrow, uh, may we really understand the extraordinary length that you have gone to to rescue us. May we receive that rescue and pass it on to others, and may you be praised through all of this. We ask for your sake. Amen.